0: Put another forty-five thousand dollars in improvements in it, and we ended up losing our entire down payment plus everything we put into it.
1: Are you ready for the best real estate investing advice ever? Join Joe Fairless and today's best ever guests as they share it with you. It's the best ever advice with none of the fluff. Let's go. Do you know how you can benefit from crowdfunding? If you haven't checked out our special series, Best Crowdfunding Crash Course Ever, presented by Patch of Land, then you need to. It's episodes 152, 159, 166, and 173, because you'll hear from the industry's leading crowdfunding experts on how you can benefit by getting involved, whether it's getting access to funds for your deal or passively investing in other people's deals. The time is now to get started. Go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever to grab your copy of the top 10 answers to the top 10 crowdfunding questions. That's P A T C H O F L E N D.com forward slash best ever. Hi, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless, and I'm here with today's guest, Gary Lucido. Hi, Gary. Hi. Gary is joining us from the Windy City, Chicago, Illinois, where he's a licensed realtor, been a licensed realtor for almost 10 years in the state of Illinois. He's a president of Lucid Realty, where they focus on single multifamily units in Chicago. And his background, he's worked in most of his professional life. He's worked in the corporate world, and then he started a startup or he worked on a startup in the early 2000s, I I believe you can clarify that, and then had a successful exit and then didn't want to go back to the corporate world. So he started his real estate company. So with that being said, Gary, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Yes.
0: Most of my experience, uh, I actually started life as as an engineer with a degree in physics and math. And then went to business school, worked in the corporate world for many years, doing a lot of process improvement work, which was heavily analytical, and then had an opportunity in 99 to do an internet startup in Chicago called Shop Local, and did that until about 2005, I think, when we sold the business, and then shortly thereafter, left to pursue other ventures. Decided there was no no way I was going to go back to work for a corporation after having the freedom to work for myself for many years. And so I decided to start a real estate business.
1: You started the real estate business from the ground up. What have you learned from that process?
0: It's a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> and, I, and I think that you'll find that a lot of entrepreneurs feel like if they... If they had known how hard something was going to be, they probably wouldn't have started it in the first place. And that that definitely applies to me. But we kept feeling like, you know, it was going to get easier, so we kept at it. Uh, We've been quite successful. Our growth has been good, you know, but uh, it was definitely a lot more work than I expected.
1: What would you say was the work that you didn't expect that came fast and furiously at you?
0: Actually, the hardest part of real estate, and I think most people don't realize this, I mean, in terms of running a real estate brokerage, the hardest part is actually getting the clients. Selling the homes, helping buyers find homes, that's actually the easy part. It's really hard to get started in the business. But once you get established and the referrals start coming in, it gets a lot easier.
1: What have you done from a you know helping to kind of solve that problem of the hardest part being getting clients what what have you seen that's worked
0: well for us from the beginning we knew that the internet would be a large source for us i did not want to rely upon traditional uh, real estate brokers you know avenues for getting clients because that seems to be very labor intensive i think the typical real estate agent spends easily half of their time trying to get business. And I just knew that was a losing proposition. So I wanted to always leverage the Internet. Uh, We established a pretty strong Internet presence, also very strong on social media. And our first clients, in fact, came in from, from the Internet, and in particular, social media. And it's basically grown from there. I would say that today... Maybe a third of our business is referral. A third of our business is probably still social media. And a third of our business is just coming from other internet channels.
1: So let's talk about the social media and the internet channels. And you've definitely piqued my curiosity. What are some best practices? First, let's talk about social media. And then I'll ask you the same thing about the internet.
0: Sure. With social media, I have a blog that I started almost immediately when we started the business. And obviously it took quite a while to develop the audience that I have, but from the beginning I knew that it was important for me to have a voice and that if I spent several hours a week writing for my blog, I could speak to thousands of people instead of speaking to people one-on-one. And from the beginning, I also thought it was important for me to produce original content, that had some unique perspectives and was honest. So I never wanted to simply tow the party line from the realtor organization. You know, the whole idea of now's the best time to buy, now's the best time to sell. I always called it like it was. And we started at a time when the real estate market was tanking. And so I reported on that. And over time I've built you know, a pretty good audience.
1: You mentioned, you know, it's just the scalability of it where you're able to speak to thousands of people versus having a thousand different conversations with individuals. Well, when you first started, I imagine you weren't speaking to thousands of people. It was speaking to nobody. (laughs) Yeah, your family and maybe your dog. (laughs) Exactly. If it's anything like mine when I started. So what was the point where you noticed you're seeing some traction?
0: Well, the growth was extremely slow at first. I think that one of the things that I did early on, which actually runs counter to the conventional wisdom, and I like things that run counter to the conventional wisdom, I actually moved my blog to a blog site that's run by the Chicago Tribune. It's called Chicago Now. So, And I did that probably a year into my own blog. And by being on that platform, uh, they they probably have 400 bloggers. By being on their platform with their visibility, and there were some search engine advantages to being there as well, I was able to grow my audience a lot faster. So for instance... And I'm not quite sure if it's because of my writing or because of you know who Chicago Now is, but every one of my blog posts goes directly to Google News. So that has helped. A lot of my traffic actually comes through Google searches because of that.
1: When people visit your blog, since it's on Chicago Now, are they able to opt in and are you able to capture their email address so you can maintain a relationship with them?
0: Yes, I do allow them to give me their email address if they want to. So I I do have some, some email subscribers. They can also subscribe via RSS feed.
1: And you mentioned social. When you say social, were you referring to your blog or are you also active? And have you seen leads come in through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, things like that?
0: Yes. I, I actually, at the same time that I was starting my blog, I was starting to participate. I mean, first of all, I consider my blog part of social media. But at the time that I started that, I also started participating in, in other uh, social media avenues. Uh, of course, we do have a Facebook page. We have a Twitter account. We have a Pinterest account. There was also some some blogs out there that deal with Chicago real estate, and I participated in those as well.
1: Which of those things, I think I know the answer I'm gonna ask it anyway, which of those things from the blog, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, participating in other people's blog is generating the most leads for your business?
0: I would say that it's probably my blog, but participating in other blogs has also helped my business.
1: And let's talk about the internet referrals. Did we overlap when we were talking about the social platforms or it separately? Do you have something else cooking that we didn't talk about?
0: Well, I do have a website. And it you know, it has some unique features, but it also talks about our value proposition, which is, you know, fairly unique for a real estate brokerage in Chicago. And a number of people who are looking for, uh, well, first, I don't know if we've mentioned, I, my brokerage is full service, but it's a discount brokerage, and we share our commission with buyers. So people who are looking for a discount broker or looking for buyer rebates will find us through the search engines as well.
1: Uh, is that the unique value proposition? Yes. So walk me through that. That's something I don't think I've come across yet. Well, one of
0: the premises in starting our business was that there was a lot of inefficiency in the real estate industry. We noticed that realtors, like I mentioned earlier, they're spending half their time looking for business. So if we could eliminate that portion of the effort or significantly reduce it, then we become more productive and we can use that extra productivity to you know, share our commissions with buyers or offer our sellers discounts. And that in turn makes it more attractive for people to do business with us, which then makes it easier for us to generate business. So it's sort of a cycle that reinforces itself.
1: And so what does it look like? $200,000 purchase? How does the breakout work?
0: Yeah, so it's on a sliding scale. So, obviously, for a low-price purchase, we're in much less of a position to uh, provide a rebate to somebody than on a million-dollar-plus purchase. However, on a $200,000 purchase, we'll rebate 20% of the commission. Uh, Somewhere north of a million dollars, we start giving back 50% of the commission. So... There was one transaction I did in which I actually wrote a check to the buyer for $34,000 at closing, and I still made very good on that deal because I pocketed 34000 on that deal also.
1: That probably fuels the word of mouth and more referrals because any time a buyer gets a check from their real estate agent, that's a moment that they likely would not forget.
0: That's correct. That is the
1: whole concept. What is your best real estate investing advice ever?
0: Yeah, for an investor, the thing that I've noticed is that, well, and this may be unique to Chicago, but there are a lot of people in Chicago, they just want to be a landlord. They just think owning real estate is the road to riches, and they don't have a clear understanding of what their financial objective is. They don't know how to analyze it. So, one of the things that I've done is I've really worked with our investor clients to help them understand the different ways of evaluating investments. And I recommend for anybody looking to do this to do a formal quantitative analysis, complete with assumptions on how much you're going to spend on maintenance, what your vacancy rate's going to be, consider your tax bracket, things like that. And I've even developed a spreadsheet that they can use to to analyze this along multiple investment objectives. Uh, now there have been you know I will tell you that there are very successful real estate investors who don't do that, but they've been in the business a long time, and somehow I don't know how they do it, but they've developed some kind of an intuitive sense as to what's an, a good investment and what's not. So they can walk up to a business, they can spend up to a building, they can spend 15 minutes walking through it. And they can put a value on that. And they they could know instantly how much they're gonna have to put into it to rehab it. And I am in awe of people like that, but for the for the new investor, they're not gonna be able to do that. And and actually I think very few people can do that. And so I think a formal quantitative analysis is important.
1: And as you know and as I'm sure you'd agree, the the analysis and the numbers are only good as the inputs for where you got those numbers from. So where do you find the vacancy rate where do you find the estimated maintenance is it based on speaking to team members or are there certain online resources that you like to use
0: you know there are numbers that sort of float around in discussions with people and these numbers come up again and again so the assumption on the assumption is that it's valid so you know it and, and of course there is data on vacancy rates in chicago they change over time, but I think a 5% vacancy rate, for instance, is reasonable. I think, you know, a maintenance rate of, I don't know, anywhere from 1% to 3% of the purchase price per year is reasonable.
1: You mentioned tax bracket, which I guess is dependent on that individual. Are there any other variables?
0: You know, there are several Um those are probably some of the key ones. Well, you also input things like how much you're going to... These are not really assumptions. These are facts. What, what percentage are you going to put down? Uh, what, what sort of uh, mortgage rate you're going to get amortized over what period of time? Um, how much... Oh, how much... This is a big one. Uh, how much you're going to have to put into the property to improve it. And then all the particulars about the purchase price... Um, including any closing costs. Those are, those are the major assumptions.
1: When an individual reaches out to you, you've never met him or her before, they say, I want to buy an investment property. What are some of the first questions that you ask him or her?
0: Absolutely. The first question I ask them is, what is your investment objective? And that ends up invariably being a, at least a 15-minute discussion. Because, the, because odds are the person has not thought about it. And it, it depends how, how, how much thinking they've done on this. But they'll usually say something like, I've had people say everything from, well, I just want to make sure that I'm you know, at least cash flow neutral on it. Or I want to own the property outright in 20 years. And so then we have a whole discussion about return on assets and return on equity and things like that.
1: Are there any answers to that question that you've come across that you were blown away and impressed by? And if so, what was the answer?
0: I don't think I've ever really been that blown away by anything an investor calling me for the first time has ever said. Even even the, the people who are most educated the best that they'll come up with is what's called a cap rate. And that tells me at least that they have some idea what they're talking about.
1: Spoken like a true engineer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Yeah, sure. Let's go for it. (laughs) You sound pretty suspicious. Are you sure you're ready for the best ever lightning round? (laughs) I'm just thinking, I'm just asking myself whether or not, you know, I'm Jim Cramer material, you know? (laughs) Well, we'll all find out. First, a quick word from our best ever sponsors. Crowdfunding. You've heard about it and now it's time to learn about it. Our best ever sponsor, Patch of Land, is a leading expert in the crowdfunding space and they've got all the answers to your crowdfunding questions. Go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and grab your copy of the top 10 answers to the top 10 crowdfunding questions. That's P-A-T-C-H-O-F L-E-N-D dot com forward slash best ever. All right, Gary, best ever book you've read? The Mind of God by Paul Davies. Best ever listeners, I know you like audio, so you can go to freebesteverbook.com and get a free audio version of a book like that. Best ever personal growth experience and what you learned from it?
0: Absolutely. When I did the internet startup, uh, probably the most important thing I learned was uh, the best way to learn how to do something is to start doing it. And you better know how to learn stuff.
1: Best ever success habit you practice?
0: This is probably unusual, but I try to avoid meetings at all costs. I try to do as much business over the phone as I can. Having to leave the office just consumes a huge amount of time.
1: Best ever deal you've done?
0: It was probably my, I think it was my first or second closing Uh, and it was a great way to start into this business it was a short sale it was a complicated short sale because the seller was simultaneously declaring bankruptcy and not only had I not closed a short sale before I hadn't closed anything so I was basically learning on the fly and this was at a time when there weren't a lot of attorneys doing negotiations so I jumped in and was negotiating with the bank myself. And boy, did I learn a lot from that transaction.
1: What's one thing that you took away from it?
0: Well, it was primarily just figuring out how comp Well, Banks are extremely difficult to deal with. I was, I was shocked at how convoluted it was. And basically, I had to figure out what that bank's internal process was, who the players were, and how to get to them. And I was on the phone calling these people constantly. It was coming down to the wire because this guy was getting ready to file bankruptcy. And had he filed, we would have never closed because the, the, the property would have gone to bankruptcy courts to sort out. So, I mean, it was, it was like we closed the next day he filed bankruptcy.
1: Best ever project you're most excited about right now?
0: It continues to be our business. Uh, and the fact that it continues to grow at a pretty rapid rate. Uh, I'm pretty excited about that.
1: Best ever way you like to give back?
0: As I mentioned earlier, we share our commissions with our buyers and we discount our commissions for sellers. So that's the best way that I could think of of giving something back.
1: Best ever quote?
0: Kurt Vonnegut. Someday you may wake up and find out that you became what you pretended to be.
1: Ooh, I like that. <laughs> What's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate?
0: Oh, without a doubt. It was the late 80s. We bought our second home. It was in New Jersey, and we bought the most expensive house on the block. It was in a blue-collar neighborhood, and we proceeded to yepify it. Uh, we put, I think, $45,000 down, put another $45,000 in improvements in it, And the market was on the decline at the time. And we ended up losing our entire down payment plus everything we put into it.
1: That's a clear winner for the biggest mistake. Congratulations on that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, $90,000
0: back in, what was it, the late 80s? If I still had that money and had invested it, I actually, I was actually able to, uh, recover some of that through, well, they're out of business now, so I guess uh, I can say it. But I went to work for Circuit City after that and was able to recover some of that in the relocation package.
1: What's the best ever place to reach you?
0: Here in Chicago, uh, my phone number, 312-738-0232.
1: Gary, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your best ever advice with best ever listeners. This is been a wonderful conversation. Some of the takeaways I got was one, you you know, educating me on the the give back component that you have with the you know giving a portion of the, your proceeds back to the buyer. Certainly, that does wonders for your referral business. And then you know, talking about how you started your own blog and the type of ways that you promote it. You leveraged a larger platform called Chicago Now. And every blog post that you send now goes through Google News and participating in other people's blogs and really growing it slowly from your family members and dog to thousands of people now and having a perspective too, because that's important to kind of make sure that your voice is out there and unique. And as you said, when the financial crisis was happening you were talking about that and you had your unique and honest perspective about it you were writing about it and then talking through setting goals and objectives as investors and allocating certain things you mentioned the vacancy rate for Chicago 5% obviously other markets are going to be completely different some would be the same but the the takeaway for for me at least is just making sure that we have a standardized way of evaluating based on that market and making sure all the boxes are checked for what we're looking for and then lastly make sure that we buy the most expensive house on the block and make more improvements than the market can handle because (laughs) (laughs) we'll have a great story to tell afterwards That's an expensive story, I'll tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a good learning experience, and I'm grateful that you shared that with us. So thank you so much for being on the show, Gary, and we'll talk to you soon.
0: Yes, thank you. I enjoyed uh, talking to the Best Ever listeners.
1: Hey, you, Best Ever listener, do you want more? Then go to JoeFairless.com, where you'll get tons of free videos, templates, and content to help you get deals done. And remember to subscribe to the best ever show in iTunes so you can keep getting your daily dose of the best real estate investing advice ever.